You should know that there is a group of people who are self-proclaimed missionaries to the city of Pico Rivera. They um, declare that they have been appointed by God for this work. They are an exclusive uh, group. They cannot, you cannot join this group unless you have been redeemed by God. You have to have been saved from your sins through the finished work of Christ in order to become a member. That choosing, according to what they say, is something that God does. He chooses each member to be a part of that group. And their, their bylaws or their structure in which they apply themselves to the work that they have before them is uh, based on the scripture alone. And they are uh, wanting to diligently represent the truth of the scriptures as they do this ministry in the city of Pico Rivera. Their mission, they say, is to experience the fullness of Christ's love and to express that love to our community for the glory of God. And the group is called First Bilingual Baptist Church. There is a description of what church is and how to do church well in the scriptures, multiple places. We're going to look today at Romans chapter 12 and speak about this issue of doing church well. The understanding then is there is instructions on how to do church well. Church also can be done poorly. And we want to be careful not to be those who do church poorly. We want to do it well. And I want to redefine or re-address this understanding of what it is to function as a church or as a body as per what the scriptures teach us. And we have the same discussion in some ways uh, coming Saturday to talk about church membership. That group that I spoke of is adding members if you're interested. This is a sermon that you need to hear. I want you to know what you're getting yourself into. Um, that's part of the reason we do the membership class. There's a sense where you are recognizing the connection that happens. And uh, you know, other folks have mentioned when they go to church, it's easy to disappear in that church. They show up on a Sunday, they sing worship songs, they hear a message and they go home and and there's no connectivity with the folks that they're going to church with. And like I said, it's a good place to hide, if you will. And that's not what the Bible describes, is what church is like. The, some folks will say they didn't want to join our church because they felt like we were going to be all up in your business. We confess to you, if you join this church, we're going to be all up in your business. <laughs> It's biblical. It's what we're supposed to do. And so that's how we function. And uh, I don't, we don't want to pretend otherwise. So looking at Romans chapter 12, we're going to do, um, and in honor of Luis, I have four C's for us to look at this together. We're going to connect to the body, contribute to the body, consider yourselves dead to sin, and concern yourself with the health of the body. Consider yourselves dead to sin. The third item is uh, from Romans chapter 6, verse 11, which is reckon yourself or consider yourselves a dead to sin and alive to Christ. And so that's where the C started, and that's where we move from there. I'm going to skip to the middle of the sermon because I want to address something first because I feel like this 
point that comes at the end is necessary for us to fully understand it in order to get through the first part of it more effectively. So if you look at chapter 12 of Romans and verse 10, the instruction of what love is like as members of this body is to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This connection that we will describe as a body is a connection that is defined as brotherly love, family love, a connection of family. We matter to each other. Um, We're now, Beatrice and I, when we have dinner together, it's just her and I. There was a time when there was four four other boys, four other men eating at the table with us, and they've gone on to their own families and having their meals. But when the six of us were intending to sit down and eat, if one of them was missing, we would know about it. If one of them was missing, they would have contacted us and told us why they were missing because they're part of the family. There is a loyalty and an obligation and responsibility that is represented in the fact that I belong to this family. I'm part of this family. I am intentional about that. It was my decision being led by God in order to join this body. And now as part of it, I'm going to interact with folks out of this mentality, devote, devoted brotherly love, loyal, committed to, brotherly love. For your benefit, I'm going to love you. For your benefit, I'm going to be devoted. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to function in a way that you won't doubt my loyalty to you because this is my priority, is this description that Paul is using in verse 10. I wanted to bring that forth before we get into the start of the passage because it, to me, is the driver of how we do church well. So, the beginning of the chapter, starting at verse 1, you're familiar with. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice is a theme that is throughout the Old Testament. They would present, the owner of an animal would present the animal as a sacrifice and the animal would be slain. And the, the teaching that we now know, because Christ has given us the information to make it clear, the teaching was that the people needed to understand that sin and death are associated. And they are connected to each other and that connection cannot be broken. Sin and death are associated with each other. So the soul, this man sins and he brings his animal as a sin offering representing something's dying as a result of its sin, his sin. But the animal, the death of the animal didn't cleanse him of his sin. It's just an education we see in the book of Galatians, an education to tell us that there is a connection between sin and death. The Bible says the soul that sins, it must die. Jesus also came because of sin and made a living sacrifice, offered himself 
to die on behalf of sins that he didn't commit. The sins of those who would believe in him are covered because of his willingness to die on their behalf. And the father raised him to establish that he had power over death. Death is powerful, death is scary. God is scarier and God is more powerful. And so he demonstrated that he had power over death in order to break that connection for those who believe in Christ so that they can have fellowship with God and the death that their sin caused is not their own but Christ's death that occurred. So this living sacrifice is more than giving your life for Christ. I mean, it's, it's not dying for Christ, but it's living for Christ. And the way it's described here is this is something, this is who we are. This is defining who we are, what we do. What do we do? We live in this way, not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We talked about that, that renewing of your mind, living biblically according to the truths of God. And, and, and then living this way for Christ. And then it goes on to say, for the grace given to me, I say every one of you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Each one of the members has been allotted a measure of faith. Faith to function and faith to believe that by grace you have been saved, right? The faith God gave you. He chose you for salvation. He chose you to be a part of the ministry that he's doing here on this earth. The next part set is a definition of those who have come together in this faith. For just as we have many members in one body, so now he's speaking about physical body, I have hands, eyes, ears, nose, all these different members, as we have many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function. So we, the group of believers, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. How many bodies? How many bodies? One body. That's it. Many members, one body. The first point, connect to the body is if you're not connected to this body, then you have an opportunity to learn about that Saturday. Come and join us. It's two Saturdays in a row. And learn the information and what's involved and becoming a member with this body. Connect to this body. If you are a member of this body, most of you went through that class. You filled out a document that demonstrated your commitment that we would be in your business and that you would be in ours that you became voluntarily connected to this body. It's important to understand that if you're not connected to a body, you're not functioning biblically as a Christian. There's no Lone Star Christians in the Bible. You can look throughout the whole book. All of the Christians that are addressed, that are following the teachings of the apostles are people who belong to a church, a local church, and they're part of that body, and they minister accordingly. They are effective accordingly. And so we are all members one of another. I can't go along and try to be a faithful Christian apart from you. Not scripturally. In order for me to be effective, in order for me to be successful, in order for me to accomplish the purposes of God, it requires me to be connected to you. And how well you faithfully follow God and how well I do it affects each other. If we're not paying attention to that, then, and, and if we're comfortable 
not being connected. We're not functioning biblically. This description is not, here's an idea of how you might do church. This is not even instruction to say, here's how you should function. This is a description of what Christians are, joined to a body. Some of you have been here visiting for a while and you haven't joined this body. We as uh, Bible-believing Christians would ask you, join this body or join another Bible-believing body, but join a body. You need to be connected to a body of believers to be functioning biblically. This description is not an option. It is a description of Christianity as Paul has laid out in this book. So it is important for you to be responsible to and respond to and interact with this body of believers, individually members to one another, connect to the body. And then it says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let each exercise them accordingly. And then it goes on to talk about prophecy and teaching and service and giving and uh, acts of mercy and all of these things that are gifts. And we're not going to do a gift study today. There's no way. We don't have time. But the point of the gifts is these gifts have been given to us all of us receiving a gift, all of us important, all of us participating, so that in the aggregate, Christ is represented because we come together and represent him. We don't on our own represent Christ fully, we represent him as a body of believers with all these gifts coming together. And those gifts are designed not for you to say, oh, that's my gift, I'm gonna go do that ministry. No, that's my gift, so that's how I contribute to the ministry of the congregation. If my gift is leadership, then I need to be involved in leadership where others are doing service and others are doing teaching and others doing giving and supporting. And you can see all these aspects. You, you know, you got all these things going on and you're not paying attention to the hearts of people. Oh, well, you have this guy with the gift of mercy or this woman with the gift of mercy. And so you're paying attention to all the details of effective ministry as we come together as a group. That's why he, he talks about the body and then he adds these gifts to Everyone's important. According to the proper working of each individual part is what it says in Ephesians, right? According to the proper working of each individual part. And so we're paying attention that all of us are necessary to accomplish the purposes of the mission that we've been given as a congregation. Each member matters. Each member matters. If you're a member of this congregation and we're doing a work and there's an intent and a purpose for you that you read about in Ephesians that the kids all learned at uh, the musical last year. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. That's you personally. If you have a place where you're supposed to be doing this work and you're not doing that work, then I'm going to have to do it. Somebody else is going to have to do it. And I won't do it as well as you because you were designed for that work. And you need to be there doing that work. As a group, we do this together and we accomplish a picture of Christ that, is, that requires the world to respond and say, what is going on there? How are these people so connected to one another? How are these people one? That's not normal. That's not natural. And the only explanation, what Jesus says for them, is to recognize that what Jesus says about himself is true. In John 17, he says, when they see how you are one, they're going to know that my words are true. They're going to know I am who I say I am. That's how salvation occurs, through the unity of the body of these believers. And so as a member, and as one who has given and, and made that choice, you are to contribute to the body that which God has given you to contribute 
You have something to bring. You may not know specifically what it is, and that may be because you haven't done enough work. Do some work. <laughs> you know, get busy. Because when you start doing work, people will say, hey, you're good at that. You know, and you'll start to notice the area in which you are starting to flourish, and you have a gift, and it's necessary. And thank you for being there and doing this. And we're going to lean on you in that area. But that's how we do is functioning together as a body. And so you need to contribute to the body. You connect to the body and then you're a part of it. And then you've been gifted. So you contribute that which God has given you to contribute to the body through that giftedness. Then, then the individual part. And... I'm gonna try not to spend too much time here um, because I wanted to, we're, we're focusing on this because we were talking as Luis was doing in Ephesians this connection of the believers and how we interact with each other. But in order for us to do that well, we each as members have to be healthy, right? Each member needs to be focused on a spiritual health that that enables us to contribute to the body in a positive way. Where a member is lagging or a member is suffering or a member is not paying attention to the things that matter, they're still a member. And, but they're a member requiring attention. And where attention could be doing other things, we're t we will tend to one another. It's part of what we do. But if, as, as a member, each one of us paying attention to these instructions that Paul gives in Romans 12, starting with verse 9, um, these are th things that if we don't pay attention to them, we become the ministry to be ministered to rather than to the one who's ministering. And, and that will happen, but it shouldn't be obviously the, the norm. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. The idea here is that this love is the kind of love that is intended for the purpose of the one being loved to flourish. It doesn't bring benefit to the one who's doing the loving. If I'm loving you for my sake, if I'm loving you so that people will know that I'm a loving person, if I'm loving you so somehow I will get some kind of benefit out of it, that's loving with hypocrisy. Love being without hypocrisy is I'm loving you for your sake, for your benefit, for your well-being, for your... Christ-centeredness, because that's, if I'm going to love you in a biblical way, my desire is for you to be near to Christ, walking in the spirit of Christ, living according to the word, knowing the word, learning more of the word, and being useful as a minister of Christ. That's where I want you to be, and if I love you, I'm helping you to get there. That's how I'm praying, that's how I'm ministering, that's how I'm approaching you, out of love for you to succeed. My son and I have an ongoing debate about um, basketball players. We, I, I have an issue with a guy making a three-pointer and then celebrating like he won the game. He just made a three-pointer, and they, they have a ritual that they do, and they get all excited, and, and I'm, I tell him, I shake my head. I'm like, you know, just go play defense. Just go. And, and he, he's more of, yeah, celebrate, do the celebration. But I conceded to him to a one point because I was watching the highlights of a game and I noticed that Steph Curry, which many say is the best shooter that NBA has ever seen, I was watching him when he didn't have the ball and his teammate shot the ball and made the shot. And Steph Curry celebrates as if he was the one that made the shot. I appreciate that. As a team member, he sees that shot go in and he's, yes, 
You know, and if you saw him, you'd think it was him who made the shot, but it wasn't him, it was his teammate, but he celebrated it because they're part of the same team. And that connection that he has with them makes that happen. I've never seen him on the defensive end, seen one of the teams from the other players shoot a three-pointer uh, when Lillard shoots from half point and the half court and the ball goes in. Curry doesn't celebrate that. He's not happy about that. It's a great shot. We go, wow, but he doesn't celebrate that. He's not on his team. He's not on his team. He wants someone who's on his team. And so that's that sense of, I'm concerned for you. I want you to succeed. And I don't need to succeed in order to celebrate that. And he brings that even further as we talk into the rest of the passage. He says, not let love be without hypocrisy. Verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence. You know, this, this is a chapter worth memorizing if you choose to do so. And, and you'll get to this point, not lagging behind in diligence. That's how the New American Standard puts it. Your, verse, your version may speak to it a little bit differently. But my thought was, if this is a definition of doing church well, doing church poorly would be, yeah, I'm occasionally diligent. There's no such thing. It's a, it, the definition diligence is it's an ongoing Mentality, it's the activity of I'm paying attention to the purposes of Christ. That's what I do. And diligence is that's what I do. Occasional diligence isn't diligence. Occasionally I get involved in the ministry. Occasionally I pay attention to the things of God. Occasionally I'm going to be involved in what the church is doing. That's not diligence. This is not lagging behind in diligence, paying attention to the things of God. I've given myself as a living sacrifice. If Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's diligence. Denying myself. Selfishness. Self-protect, self-deny. I mean, self-pamper, self-promote. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Diligence is that's my life. I don't live that perfectly. None of us do. But that's the design. That's how we should be intending to walk with Christ. And if we agree that this is what the Bible says, and we agree as members that this is what we're desiring to do, and if we see each other not walking diligently, we welcome, we welcome you to approach me and say, I'm not seeing diligence in you. There's a, there's a calmness in you that, that doesn't represent a diligence that you're desiring to be focused on the things of God. The next one, it speaks to that. So diligence would be the activity that I'm doing in the name of the Lord, but the next line says, fervent in spirit. That's your attitude towards it. There is a group appointed by God to reach the community for Jesus Christ. That should excite you. That statement should excite you. People will die and go to hell, but others will hear the message of this congregation, will be impacted by the ministry of this congregation. They will hear the truth of who Christ is, and they will receive him as Lord, and they will be saved from that day forward unto eternity, and not go to hell, but go to heaven. That's the business we're in. It's not a bad business to feed the hungry, but when you feed the hungry, guess what happens? They get hungry again. If you heal the sick, they get sick again. If you, if you raise the dead, they die again. That's what happened with Lazarus, right? But if you save someone from their sins, that's eternal. That's big business. That's exciting business. Let's be about that with an attitude that I get to participate in that. I get to participate in that work. And that should have my attention. And that should have my 
my attitude be one that is exciting? There are Christians who you will more describe them as passive and laid back. He's cool. He's chilling with the Lord. That's not what the Bible describes. These are folks who are fervent in spirit, excited about the mission, challenged by it, and wanting to do better at it, impacting the lost for Christ, impacting each other so that we're all doing this work for the name of the Lord. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That mentality, I want this. This is where my focus is. This is where my heart is. I'm going after that. He says, you go after it with that mentality, you'll be satisfied. Pursuing the word like a baby pursues milk. There's a heart for these things that is represented in the attitude that we approach it. And then serving the Lord. You know, that should be the definition of the people who belong to this body. What are you doing? I'm serving the Lord. Not surviving the day. Not dealing with the circumstances so that I can get past this and move on to the next circumstance. I'm serving the Lord. In the midst of the circumstances, I'm serving the Lord. That's why I'm here. I'm a part of this body who serves the Lord. Have all of these folks have given themselves as a living sacrifice, and so they're serving the Lord. What are you doing? Serving the Lord should always be the answer. What are you doing? Serving the Lord. How are you doing it? It'll be different, but the point is, that's what we're doing. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. There's a sermon that I preached a while back on hope, and Whenever you read it, this rejoice, joy, joy and hope are married to each other in the scriptures. Joy and hope, joy and hope. And if you're suffering with a, a problem with joy, you need to pay attention. It's a hope issue. Because the hope, he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in our home, not in our workplace. Pico Rivera is our workplace. This is our ministry. And we hope for the salvation of folks, but our hope, where our joy is based, is in that we, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We have been chosen by God, delivered from our sins, and we will live with him forever. If that doesn't give you joy, you don't understand it. That is what gives us joy. And circumstances will beat us up, and we may have to deal with them, but it can't take away our joy because they can't take away our salvation. My joy is in that. And that doesn't change. So I'm rejoicing in hope. And that will help me in the next line, persevere in tribulation. We're still in verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. We usually face tribulation as something we need to avoid or complain about. The Bible tells us we're to persevere through it. Minister in the midst of it. Accomplish the purposes of God in the midst of it. How we react to it is a demonstration to the world that our joy is in him and not in our circumstances. Our desire to honor him matters more than adverse circumstances. So the Bible says do all things without grumbling or disputing. And so we need to pay attention to that mentality that we're persevering in tribulation. And then the last line in there, devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. Being a man of prayer. Being a woman of prayer. If you could be defined as someone who is devoted, devoted to prayer. There are people who know about prayer. People who can do Bible studies on prayer. People who have read lots of books about prayer. There are people who pray. 
But then there are people who are devoted to prayer. Again, this word devotion to prayer. You talk, stop somebody in the bread and coffee time and tell them about some issue that's going on with you, the man who's devoted to prayer will say, let's pray about that right now, right here. Devoted to prayer. When you tell somebody about something and they say to you, I'll be praying for you, that person prays for you. Why? Because they're devoted to prayer. If you're part of a body of believers, hear me, First Bilingual Baptist Church, if you're part of a body of believers who are one with each other, and that body, that family who is devoted to one another says, tonight we're going to gather and pray. At five o'clock tonight, we're gonna gather and pray. Because we're devoted to each other and because we're devoted to prayer, we shouldn't be able to meet in the small room across the hall. That's where we meet on the prayer night. Why? Because no one's here. The 15 or 20 of us that come together, we can pray in that little room. We, brothers and sisters, are defined as those who, this is a family gathering that you're being called to, to pray. If you can't make it, you should be calling in somebody and saying why. It's like you can't make dinner, family dinner. You can't make family prayer time. Tell us, tell tell somebody why, because we should expect you to be there. Because you're devoted to this family, you're devoted to God, you're devoted to this mission, and you're devoted to prayer. Either you are or you're not. I don't think I'm saying anything beyond what the scriptures are saying here. It's, it's, not, it's not honoring to God. I'm blessed by those who come to pray, but the fact that it's like, I might go to that, is not devoted to prayer. Those folks who are paying attention to these truths are able to do the next part of it. So you connect to the body, you contribute to the body, you consider yourself dead to sin, that's how these aspects are, uh, are demonstrated in you, and then you concern yourself with the health of the body. Concerning yourself with the health of the body, it's let your love be, this is, again, he started with let love be without hypocrisy, but let love be is what this passage is talking about, what love is like. Love abhors what is evil and clings to what is good. Again, abhorring what is evil, abhorring sin and clinging to what is good. And I'm committed as a Bible-believing member of this community to that, and so are you. And so, again, if I am saying that, and you're saying that, and you believe that this is true, and I see that you're doing something that doesn't abhor sin, it kind of tolerates sin. Sin is not so bad. Sin is, you know, clearly not as bad as the other sinners. If you are in that mentality, and you are, are one who's committed to abhor sin, then I, as a member with you, should join with you and say, hey, wait, wait how is this sin Okay. And you should say, I welcome that criticism because I want to abhor sin and cling to what is good. I've committed myself to the truth of the scriptures and I'm not finding a different way to honor God that includes tolerating sin in my life. Sin is evil. It causes pain and and hardship and and, and the death of our Lord. Sin is something we avoid and we don't live anything in a way that demonstrates that we're okay with it. We're not. And so we abhor it and we cling to what is good and we encourage one another to do that. I already spoke about being devoted to one another in brotherly love. And then it says, give preference to one another in honor. I was reading Matthew Henry's commentary on this passage and he said, said, not taking honor, but giving honor. I like that. When we're interacting with each other, 
We're looking to give each other honor, not taking honor, but giving honor. If you listen to our conversations and we're saying things about ourselves, saying things to draw attention to what we've said or done, we're taking honor. But if we're talking to you and we're talking to one another and I start appreciating how God is using you, how God has changed you, how God is, how God has given you ideas and thoughts that need to be considered because they matter, then I'm giving honor. That's what I should be doing, giving honor to you as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ, and someone whom Christ dwells, and it's important what you say and do, that you are giving preference to one another in honor. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. The the verse assumes needs. There are needs in the church, some physical, some not physical, but those needs are met by the saints. There are resources in the body. When you are trying to stay warm, you don't leave your arm out in the cold. You get everything in there, right? We, we use all the resources we have to stay warm. And, and that's the idea is we as a body of believers, as one body, we have resources. I mean, we might be able to figure out between all of us our net value. How many Doors to the church, well, that includes all the doors to your house. You know, how many uh, vehicles do we have? How many pickup trucks do we have? We have all of these resources, and those resources are useful as there are needs to be met, and we meet each other's needs. We contribute to the needs of the saints. And the needs, if I slam something down on my finger, I don't have to wait a while or go looking doing an inventory to see what's wrong with my finger. There is a nerve in my finger that goes right to my brain and says, I want all of your attention. You ever bang your head and you're sure it's bleeding because it hurts so bad, you know? You don't go, oh man, my head hurts. You go, oh man. You grab it, your atten- it has all of your attention. The part that is hurt screams out, I'm hurt. If you're hurting, brothers and sisters, if you're in need, brothers and sisters, say so. You don't need to hide that. If you're going through that on your own, it's wrong. You need to say so, so that we can respond to that together in one body. Say so. I'm struggling with having a heart to do these things, Richard. I'm struggling to have a heart that has this devoted as described here. And it's a hard thing for me to say, I want to do that. I'm dealing with even that passive thought of the way I want to be a Christian. If that's a problem, say so. You don't wait around, not a part of the body, for something to happen so that you can be a part, be a better part. No, the body is going to respond to what's going on. You are members with us. And there are members who we haven't seen in a while. It's like a part of the body that's damaged and hurt, and it's not saying so, and we have to go after them. If we've ever have to come after you, and some of you are here, you know, don't ever let that happen again. (laughs) You are here voluntarily. You are participating as a member of the body. You have a responsibility to the body. If you are missing church for some reason on a Sunday, and a Sunday afternoon you're going, why hasn't anyone called me to see if I'm okay? The Bible says you're supposed to call the church and tell them, here's why I wasn't there. You know, if you didn't go to work, you're waiting for them to call you and say, why aren't you at work? 
You call them. That's the body of believers. You call us. Tell us what's broken. Tell us how you're hurting. Tell us how you're struggling. And we as a congregation will respond and contribute to the needs, take care of what's necessary in order to bring you back into health so that you can be the next person when there's another need, you can contribute to that need. That's who we are. That's who, how we function. And then practicing hospitality. The hospitality here is more along the lines of if, because we're this group, we're this church, we're the body of believers, if a member of another body comes our way, they shouldn't have to worry about where they're going to stay. They can stay with us. That's the hospitality. We're going to have uh, folks coming here, what, when? Yes. In July, there's going to be 20... 22 staff members coming, college-aged people to do ministry here in our ministry area for VBS, and they're going to need a place to stay. That's hospitality. We're committed to that. Talk to Alex. Make a room available. Make a bed available. Talk to Alex if you have a place for them to stay. That's that what this hospitality is. But we've also been talking as a congregation about our hospitality of ministering to one another, being in each other's homes, knowing I've been hearing reports about folks who are gathering together and learning about each other's lives and becoming more effective at loving one another because of it. And it has blessed me tremendously. And I pray you continue to do that. If you're not connected through a family life group or some other group and connected to somebody so that they know your business, they're concerned, they're hearing, they're learning about you, you need to step in and do that. You can't wait for that to happen. You need to step in and find how is it that I can be connected? Who is it that I can be connected with? Because I'm part of the body. I'm part of this family, and so I will be intermixing in that hospitality. And then verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You make the shot, I'm going to celebrate. You miss the shot, I'll mourn with you. You know, I, I've told this before, I've always thought, will there be softball in heaven, you know? Because when we play softball, you, you want to win. And, and you're not real happy when you don't win. Right, Chuck? <laughs> and, and so there's a desire to do well. And there were times where we were playing and Chuck was on the opposing team. And I'm trying to strike Chuck out. And I succeeded sometimes. And, but he also would crush the ball and his team would win. And I wouldn't be happy for him. Because he was on the other team. But I was thinking about it in heaven. I'm thinking I'm pitching to my son, and he hits the ball. I wanted him to miss it because I'm trying to get him out. And he hits the ball. The moment he hits the ball, I'm celebrating it because that's my son. I'm celebrating his success because that's my son. We celebrate each other's successes because we're connected to one another. We share each other's burdens because it divides the burden in half. If two of you carry a load, it's half as heavy. If four of us get together, carry the load, we hardly notice. You know, the, the division of the load makes it so much easier to carry, and none of you should weep alone. If you're weeping alone, let somebody know you have something to weep about so we can weep with you. Come to the prayer meeting tonight, and we'll weep together and pray together. We'll also rejoice together. That's the design of the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That connectivity, when one part of the body is honored, all of us are honored with it. 
Be of the same mind toward one another, it says in verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. Do not be haughty in mind. Do not mind the high things. Those of you who are seeking to be successful on this world, according to what the eyes of this world sees, starts to put uh, some stature in that and say, well, he's to be honored because he's succeeding in this area in the world. And this guy doesn't have a job that's honorable. And so he's, that's the way the world functions. That's haughty in mind. We don't function that way. We honor each other because we're all invested in the same God and dwelt by the same spirit and needing each other in order to accomplish the purpose of God. And Corinthians says, what do you have that wasn't given to you? And the answer is nothing. So why do you walk around like you weren't given it? You were given it. It was a gift. Treat it as such. Treat it with a, a sense of stewardship. And then it says associate with the lowly. If you consider that at the time that he was writing this letter to these folks, there would be in Rome caste systems and people who would be considered lowly. The Bible saying those people... They're considered lowly, but not in the church, not as members of the body. They're considered valuable, important, and necessary for us to be successful. Do not be wise in your own estimation. It's the last line that he says there that we're going to talk about today. That do not be wise in your estimation. If Yeah, that's nice what you said, Richard, but I don't know. I don't think I see it that way. I'm just reading to you what the scripture said. You could read it for yourself. It's not hard to read. It's clear. This is the description of doing church well. We, if we do this as the way the Bible has instructed, we will have success in the things that God has called us to do. Connect to the body, contribute to the body, consider yourselves dead to sin, and then concern yourself with the health of the body. I'm part of this group. It's necessary for me to be here. It's necessary for me to do this work because I've committed myself, presented myself as a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is my spiritual service of worship. Anything less is not doing church well. Anything less is making your own way and you're hurting the body of Christ.